0: what you've been waiting for. Movies, TV, music, and more. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. the watch the man, the watch the man, watch Welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, Use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, the 80s was an interesting time in music. The dominant genre was synth-pop and new wave. I wasn't always on board, I've admitted that before. I preferred the sound of live instruments versus programming and synthesizers. It wasn't until I listened to Nine Inch Nails that I started to appreciate the use of electronic sounds. But I noticed a trend in the 80s among very talented drummers turned singers... They handed in their drumsticks for a drum machine. Now, I'm sure it was an influence of the time. I mean, everyone was doing it, right? But when you have tremendous talents behind the kit, it surprises me that they wouldn't use it more. And I'll give you a couple examples. Roger Taylor from Queen has inspired drummers like the late Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. But on the biggest hits he wrote, A Kind of Magic and Radio Gaga, he opted to use a drum machine. Don Henley's breakthrough album, Building the Perfect Beast, featuring the song Boys of Summer, included Lindrum programming. His next album and first single, both titled The End of Innocence, also utilized programming in the rhythm section. As a side note, it was co-written with Bruce Hornsby. I'm not sure how he does it, but I can identify his piano playing in about 1.3 seconds. Lastly is Phil Collins. I think he's done the best job incorporating drum machines with live drums, as heard on his signature tune In the Air Tonight, but the Lynn drum can be heard on Don't Lose My Number, One More Night, and the Roland TR-909 was used on Susudio. Now I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. I know in a previous episode, I gave a little dig about Phil Collins' drumming for Led Zeppelin at Live Aid. Recently, Jimmy Page came out and said it was a mistake to hire Phil Collins, It's an inconceivable task to replace the powerhouse that John Bonham was. But Phil Collins is no slouch. He's proven that in Genesis and his solo career. The rhythm section is the most important part of a band. But at the very least, all a drummer needs to do is keep time. And that is something Phil Collins is very capable of doing. It wasn't his fault that Robert Plant sounded like a stray cat being electrocuted. It wasn't his fault that Jimmy Page was out of tune and playing wrong notes. John Paul Jones was an absolute pro, as expected. At one point, Robert Plant asks, Does anybody remember Laughter? Yes, we're watching it live on stage. They were so embarrassed by their performance, and rightfully so, they wouldn't allow it to be included in the DVD release of the Live Aid concert, which came out around 2004. Led Zeppelin is an incredible band. And their How the West Was One album is the epitome of their live sound. Live aid? Not so much. But it wasn't the fault of Phil Collins. So back from the tangent, I am average at every instrument I play. But if I had the talent that the three men I've mentioned do, I would never give up the sticks for a drum machine. So it's surprising with their immense skill that they did. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars Standard Fair, 4 stars Worth Checking Out, and 5 stars Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series, in that genre, and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing The Odd Couple, from 1968. So how'd I miss it? I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the Matt Forgot That podcast, and if you're not subscribed and listening, you're missing out on some good nostalgia, that Jack Lemmon is one of my favorite actors, and I'd been working my way through his filmography when it occurred to me that I'd never seen one of his iconic roles. I'm pretty sure I've seen a couple of episodes of the TV series with Tony Randall and Jack Klugman, and I probably gave the reboot with Matthew Perry a shot, but never the movie. It was directed by Gene Sachs, who helmed Barefoot in the Park, MAME, and Brighton Beach Memoirs. He started out as a television actor and appeared on the big screen in Nobody's Fool, IQ, and Deconstructing Harry. The screenplay was scribed by Neil Simon, prolific writer, Academy Award nominated for Best Writing of The Sunshine Boys, The Goodbye Girl, California Suite, and this movie. Other notable work includes Barefoot in the Park, Plaza Suite, Promises Promises, and Biloxi Blues. It stars Jack Lemmon as Felix Unger, and Walter Matthau portrays Oscar Madison. Throughout their careers, they starred in 10 movies together, starting in 1966 with The Fortune Cookie. It was followed by The Odd Couple, The Front Page, and Buddy Buddy. Both appeared in JFK, though they didn't share a scene. Next up was Grumpy Old Men, The Grass Harp, Grumpier Old Men, Out to Sea, and lastly, The Odd Couple 2. Jack Lemmon also directed Koch, which starred Walter Matthau. Unlike their on-screen counterparts who were at each other's throats, the two men were best friends in real life and died within a year of each other. As a bonus feature, I've included an appearance on the Johnny Carson show together promoting Buddy Buddy, so check that out on YouTube in the Matt Watch That playback playlist. This is something to look out for. If the voice of John Fiedler sounds familiar, he would lend it to the character of Piglet for almost 40 years in Winnie the Pooh projects. He also co-starred with Jack Lemmon about 10 years earlier in 12 Angry Men. He, Walter Matthau, Monica Evans, and Carol Shelley reprised their roles from the Broadway play to star in this movie. So let's jump into it. Felix Unger walks the streets of New York and enters Hotel Flanders, asks for a room on a high floor. He's fastidiously putting his belongings into a manila envelope before approaching the window with the thought of committing suicide but he hurts his back attempting to unkink the jammed pane. He heads to the Metropole Cafe to watch the Go-Go Girls go-go. Meanwhile, boorish Oscar Madison hosts a card game with his buddies. He's looking to make some money as he's $800 behind in alimony payments to his ex-wife, who's living with their children out in California. They express concern over Felix, who's never late for the game. When Murray's wife calls and tells them that he didn't come home last night and didn't go to work today, Oscar calls Francis, Felix's wife, who breaks the news that they've separated. Felix arrives at the apartment and puts on a brave face. The group tries to play it cool, but when he breaks down, the friends support him, concerned that he will attempt suicide again. After a night on the town, Oscar invites him to move into the apartment. Here's a quote without context. It's either very new cheese or very old meat. The Odd Couple is a strong comedy and a classic movie not surprising with the people involved. I think it was brave to start off a comedy with a suicide attempt. You don't see that much these days. It was interesting seeing New York in the 1960s. It almost feels like a completely alternative timeline, because while it looks recognizable, it's also completely different than what Manhattan is today. One of the funniest laughs happens during the card scene, not going to spoil it, but what I found interesting was that It was almost 40 minutes before the inciting incident, that's kind of a screenplay term, and it's really them moving in together. Prior to that, there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of business, a lot of comedy bits. But the one criticism that I really have is that it's very much shot like a play, and I don't think that always works, especially in character-driven stories. There are many scenes where it's just them talking. And there's not much character movement. So you could imagine yourself in one of these beautiful New York theaters watching this on Broadway. But part of the problem is that it was acted as if they were in the theater. So they would say a punchline and then kind of pause where you know the laughter of an audience would be. So I think the translation loses a bit of magic and it would have been better suited shot like a movie instead of just like a play. But that's literally the only criticism. Otherwise, this is a mostly flawless film. It was interesting seeing Shea Stadium in the 60s, especially with one side being open. When I started attending games, Shea Stadium was completely closed. You kind of forget how nice the stadium looked before it became a big dump. Even though this was early in their tenure as collaborators, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau seem like they knew each other for decades and decades. Their rapport is great, the relationship is established, They know these characters, and play really well off each other. It's fun watching their quirks emerge, and eventually getting on each other's nerves. Now for a little trivial trivia. The story was partially inspired by Neil Simon's friend, Mel Brooks, who moved in with writer Speed Vogel while separated from his wife. The Odd Couple was produced by Howard W. Koch, known for Airplane, Some Kind of Hero and Ghost. It was the second of five Neil Simon films he produced, which included Come Blow Your Horn, Plaza Suite," Star-Spangled Girl, and Last of the Red Hot Lovers. It was filmed in New York at the Dorchester Apartments, Riverside Park, and Shea Stadium. The cinematography was captured by Robert B. Hauser, whose filmography includes episodes of The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, Bus Stop, Peyton Place, and Macmillan and Wife. He was nominated for two Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Cinematography of Combat and Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. The Odd Couple would be his feature debut. It was edited by Frank Brockt, who worked on White Christmas, Anything Goes, Nevada Smith, Ombre, and Plaza Suite. The score was composed by Neil Hefty, who wrote the music for Sex and the Single Girl, Barefoot in the Park, Duel at Diablo, and catch Catch-22. His most famous composition would have to be the iconic theme of Batman, the series. It doesn't have a traditional soundtrack, but You Are Treated to Rule Britannia, sung by Walter Matthau. The runtime is 1 hour 40 minutes. It had a budget of a little over 1 million and grossed 44 million at the box office. This was the third highest grossing film of 1968, behind Funny Girl and 2001 A Space Odyssey. It was nominated for two Oscars at the 1969 Academy Awards for Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium, and Best Film Editing. It spawned a television series in 1970, a rebooted series in 2015, and a sequel with Lemon and Mathau reprising their roles in 1998. On the Ski Index, I give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. If you've seen *The Odd Couple* and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag #MattWatchThat. Dun. Moving right along, each episode I'm gonna post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page, and there'll be a playlist called *Matt Watch That* playback. Jim Jeffries is a stand-up comedian from Australia who has delighted and shocked audiences worldwide. He was born and raised in Sydney before moving to Perth to study musical theater at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. He dropped out of university to embark on a stand-up career, which would relocate him to the United Kingdom. His sense of humor ranges from thought-provoking to provocative, and often talks about religion, politics, drug use, and sex. Not surprisingly, his jokes have ruffled a few feathers, and in 2007, he was attacked on stage at the Manchester Comedy Festival. This incident was joked about on his special Contraband. That led to a deal with HBO, who released his special, I swear to God, in 2009. He's had two television series. Legit premiered on FX in 2013. The scripted sitcom was co-created with Peter O'Fallon and was about a stand-up comedian who rekindles a relationship with his friend who has muscular dystrophy. And together, they attempt to figure out what attributes make people legit. The Jim Jeffries Show debuted on Comedy Central in 2017. It was similar in spirit to The Daily Show, where it mixed in pop culture with the news of the day. He's been hosting a podcast called I Don't Know About That, alongside Kelly Blackheart, Forrest Shaw, and Jack Hackett. I believe it's slightly behind the Matt Watch That and Matt Forgot That podcasts in downloads. I've selected a couple of clips from various performances and appearances that showcase his comedic stylings. They're all available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Wag the Dog, directed by Barry Levinson, who's known for Diner, The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, and Bugsy. The screenplay was written by Hillary Henkin and David Mamet, based on the novel American Hero by Larry Beinhart. It tells the story of Conrad Breen, a political spin doctor brought in by White House aide Winifred Ames, to take the headlines away from the president who's caught in a sex scandal. With the elections looming, Conrad has the idea to create a fictitious war as a distraction, and brings in Hollywood producer Stanley Motz to complete the facade. It stars Robert De Niro, Anne Heche, and Dustin Hoffman, who was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role. It also features Woody Harrelson, Dennis Leary, Andrea Martin, John Michael Higgins, Kristen Dunst, William H. Macy, Craig T. Nelson, and brother from a different mother, Willie Nelson. Shortly after its release in 1997, President Clinton was embroiled in his own sex scandal with Monica Lewinsky, and in an example of life imitating art, the administration approved airstrikes on al-Qaeda targets in the Middle East just around the time the impeachment hearings were occurring. Now, I haven't seen the film in about 15 years. It isn't streaming anywhere, and it's not even available on Blu-ray. But I have ordered the DVD because I want to see if it still holds up. It wasn't a box office smash, which is surprising considering the all-star cast, though interest in the film did increase in comparison with the Clinton scandal. It probably hits a little too close to home because I don't think anyone would be surprised to find out the White House would construct a fake war to cause a distraction. But like all lies, the more that they're told, the deeper the hole you dig. The story they've created definitely gets out of hand, but it's fun watching these characters react to the situation and come up with the next plan of action. So check it out, wag the dog, wherever you can find it. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky, You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. The cinematography was captured by Robert B. Hauser, whose filmography includes episodes of the life and legend of Wilder. of Wilderp. Derp. The screenplay was scribed by Neil Simon, prolific writer, Academy Award nominated for Best Writing of the Shun. of the Shunshine Boys. He's been hosting a podcast called I Don't Know About That, alongside Kelly Blackheart, Forrest Shaw, and Jack Jacket. Jack Jacket. <laughs>